Hi, I'm Dr. Rosalind Beer, and you're listening to Further with Founders. Throughout this series, I'll be speaking to business founders within the Further Network. They'll be telling me about their journey so far, the highs and the lows, the bootstrapping and the funding rounds, the business challenges and the human stories. The guest on this episode is Fergal Brady of No Friction. Fergal is a serial entrepreneur who talks about the importance of resilience. Enjoy the chat. So, Fergal, thanks for joining us. Um, with us here today is Fergal Brady of No Friction, and also joining us is uh, John Phelan, who is an expert in all things fund and investment. So, Fergal, would you like to talk to us about your background and your entrepreneurial journey before No Friction? Before No Friction? Um, yeah, well, I, my, my, myself and my co-founder had a previous business called Blueface, which was an IP telephony company. So, myself and Aaron Clausen, my co-founder, we started that. 2005 and we bootstrapped and fought and battled and uh, got through the noughties um, and we uh, it was a B2C IP telephony company and Aaron then we were both kind of burnt out probably around 2010-2011 and it was very difficult to raise new investments so we brought in a new management team a um, little bit of investment and continued to grow the company and scale it globally and we uh, closed the PE round in 2016 10 million and then we merged with a US competitor in 17 and then um, the business was, was, was sold, Blueface was sold rather to Comcast, the US cable company, which is fantastic and they're still the proud owners of it and the residual business then was acquired by a, a Nasdaq company so that was the Super. precursor to no friction I suppose. Okay so precursor to Blueface then, what was your background so in terms of your education and formative years uh, so I uh, well I come from a, probably an entrepreneurial family really my father and my mother um, uh, my, my mother ran her own business uh, in uh, age 22 I think actually um, so she was a, an early entrepreneur back in the days when it was even more uh, really really unusual you know really really unusual and uh, almost unheard of in fact so yeah family of entrepreneurs and I always want to start a business I work worked for an internet banking company called CR2, which was founded by uh, a couple of the ex-employees of Kindle Banking Systems, which is one of Ireland's un- most uh, unknown, but uh, one of the mo- its, its biggest success stories, actually. It's, it was a fantastic company. So CR2 was internet banking and channel banking software, worked for them. It was a startup growing really fast. It was the dot, the dot boom era. Uh, incredibly exciting, flying all over the world, and uh, I used to go out to Singapore, commute out to Singapore, go around South Asia for uh, two or three weeks, and then come back to Dublin. And then they asked me to move out to Singapore, so I lived there for two years. Uh, really enjoyed it. Travelled all around, all around Asia, uh, effectively selling banking software. Um, really enjoyed it. Uh, got the startup bug then. I really knew that I wanted to do something in technology, something in startups, and. Then the dot bust happened and uh, they wanted me to come back to Dublin and there was no way I was coming back to the rain and the cold immediately anyway. Uh, so I decided I'd do an MBA. So I went to HEC or HEC as we'd know it uh, in Paris, uh, did an MBA, studied entrepreneurship, uh, developed a business plan for this world beating business which was going to take over the wireless broadband delivery for all of Europe and grow into this billion dollar company and I got back to Ireland and somebody else had started it first so <laughs> um, so uh, but as part of that um, wireless broadband IP telephony fitted sort of hand in glove 
um, and I met up with Aaron and we uh, sort of hit it off really. He was a, an engineer uh, with, a, with, a, with, a, with a, a platform that he'd built and I was a, well, I was a, I'm an engineer but I'm rubbish at it. So uh, he was a proper engineer and I was the business guy. He was the technology guy and we kind of hit it off and started the business. He'd actually started it really. He'd, he'd built a website and I think he'd one customer. Kind of tagged along, and then I tagged along. <laughs> so I jumped on the bus, and the two of us drove off in the bus, and we raised a little bit of money. So we went to friends and family. The BES scheme, which was the precursor to the EIIS scheme, I think, um, was just out then. It was primarily used, it seems, to invest in hotels. Actually, so nearly everyone we went to, you know, expected us to be pitching them a new hotel, and we told them it was a technology business, and they said, "Oh no, I'm not interested in that. Like, unless it's property, we've nothing not to do with it." So we got some friends and family. My old, my strategy professor from HEC, I think he won't mind me saying, uh, invested in the company as well, which is a great endorsement, I suppose, um, and uh, a previous boss of mine as well. And so, yeah, so they got on board and um, off we went. So the bus departed and that, that's, yeah, it all started there. So you went from, you know, obviously early career, blue face, and then, you know, the actual idea, you know, around no friction. Can you talk us through what the concept was with Aaron yourself and why, why did you start that? Well, fundamentally, we wanted to take back control of banking and payments in our business and any time we wanted to do anything around payments, banking, transfer funds, etc., we always had to go to a third party. We always had to jump through all these hoops. So it's our money, and we want to do something with it. And in order to access it, you have to jump through all these hoops. You have to go to you know, an internet banking site. You have to do, fill out this form. You have to go down to the branch. Uh, there's just a huge amount of friction associated with the transfer of value, and in particular, the transfer of value over the internet. So what we wanted to do was actually take back control of the movement of funds and the banking process and empower business owners to actually do things themselves, effectively to almost become their own bank. Obviously, they don't become their own bank, but what they really do is they take back control so they don't actually need the day-to-day -day bank. Yes, they'll use the traditional bank for a treasury function, but for the day-to-day operation to make payments, receive payments, reconcile payments, to do all of those transactions that are so tedious, so manual, so labour-intensive, uh, we give take back control and enable them to do that in an, in an efficient way. So that was the idea. Um, and in order to do that, we had to go on this great regulatory journey, uh, which we're going through at the moment, and we had to build a platform, we had to understand banking and payments, um, understand the industry, the ecosystem, the regulatory environment. Um, so we started out uh, probably January 2021, uh, just began reading, uh, uh, gulping down all of the books and reading material we could find, all the websites, all the regulations, uh, and we came up with the, okay, the concept will be a digital current account uh, with the ability to accept payments over various different rails, they're called different methods of payments, um, wrapped in a software platform that integrates seamlessly with your accounting platform or your ERP and your core business application so that you can forget that you need a bank account and that it's separate, it's all integrated into your business application. So that's what we've done. And where did the name come from? So we wanted to evoke the idea that when you use the no friction platform that it would be friction free and it would be easy and uh, so on. So I came up with the idea of super slippy and it, it, <laughs> <laughs> super, super, <laughs> well it couldn't, <laughs> could it? <laughs> that was the point you see. So super slippy didn't stick. 
uh, thankfully, I was I was overruled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was overruled, and um, for various reasons, um, uh, apart from the fact that it was a terrible name, and we went with no friction in the end. So we just came up with no friction, and the blue, and, and so in fairness, Aaron came up with the no friction name really, and he'd also come up with the blue face name. So blue face came from talk till you're blue in the face. Um, because, you know, you could make as many calls as you want, or like, etc. So Aaron uh, came up with Blueface name and the No Friction name. Uh, so. Okay, so the two of you together, um, you know, would you recommend having a partner who has opposite capabilities to you? So a lot of tech entrepreneurs are setting out with an idea and they are then trying to sell it. And then you have, you know, people from business backgrounds who are trying to then figure out the tech. So... Did you find the combination of both of you together as co-founders kind of the magic, you know, ingredient? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I definitely did. And it's funny because I'm often contacted by people who are looking for a tech co-founder or, you know, maybe an engineer looking for, you know, a business person to, to, to come in and help them with the business. And it's really, really important. And although Aaron is very much, you know, a, 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 he's probably one of the top software engineers in the world, frankly, um, although he's, you know, pure engineering, he's actually got a really, really good business brain. He thinks extremely logically. And, you know, I did an MBA and typically the MBA is the route for an engineer to get into business. But actually, uh, he thinks very much like someone who's gone through an MBA program, and he's very, very commercial. So he's a, he's a, a, a true entrepreneur. Like this is, his, I think, fourth or fifth startup, really. Um, so yeah, it's really, really important for a number of reasons. One is that you don't feel alone. You know, entrepreneurship is is, is a very lonely business, a lonely existence. And having people around you that you can trust and rely on, etc., is really, really important. And even just talk talk through things. Um, but being able to rely on somebody, so, okay, there's a platform there and I don't have to worry about it because he's worrying about it. That's brilliant. And from his point of view, I suppose, okay, look, you know, the sales and marketing thing, you know, the business development, I don't have to worry about that. Um, so, yeah, it's really important. And so, kind of, you mentioned there you had to do lots and lots of research because it is, a you know, um, fintech and this area is, is kind of quite you know, mm. tricky mm. and new. So what were the other challenges you faced, you know, in terms of, so you mentioned mm. regulations and all yeah. of that. So what, what were those particular? Well, the regulatory thing was, was, was very, very big because we obviously had to understand the regulatory environment and the ecosystem. And the vast majority of fintechs uh, over the past 10 years have gone and got regulated in, for example, they, a lot of them would get regulated in Lithuania. Um, and getting regulated in another jurisdiction means that you've actually got, got to go and set up uh, office, you know, in that jurisdiction, etc. And we're an Irish company. We're based in Ireland. We're growing out of Ireland. We're scaling out of Ireland, and we wanted to be regulated in Ireland. And um, so we decided that we would apply to be regulated here in Ireland, and it just made complete sense for us. So we had to understand, obviously, that journey, make that decision. Um, we got lots of people around us to help us. Um, one of the most important things we did very early on was we. Um, spoke with Kate Hotton and Kate joined us as a non-executive director and Kate previously worked with uh, Stripe she was head of their anti-financial crime program was a director there and she really helped us to understand and navigate the landscape um, and then of course we've brought sort of some really really fantastic people on board who have assisted us with us so the initial problem was under, understanding the scope of the what we had to understand but it was just like telecoms and actually, telecoms and banking are very, very similar 
and it's, it's almost analogous what, to what was happening in telecoms in the 2000s where there was open source software, there was some deregulation, there was new startups uh, taking a hold of certain parts of the value chain and we're seeing exactly the same thing happening now in banking. So banking has evolved from, you know, probably 500 years ago on Monte de Pasco de Siena, the, one of the first banks, to people on horseback moving uh, money from one bank to another in the wild west you know and ultimately it's about the security of money the transmission of money and efficient value transfer and just the methods of doing that have changed and the regulations about how you can do that have changed so we just had to understand how that was evolving and kind of work out how it was what was going to happen in the future and for us what's going to happen in the future it's all about digital currencies about digital wallets and we had to sort of bake that into our platform so that our customers were sort of future-proofed when they chose us. So I guess I'm just wondering, you know, it sounds quite disruptive in something that's very institutionalised as a, as a sector and an age-old, you know, industry. Um, you know, was that something that was important to you to do something that you're passionate about, that you believed in, that you felt that you were going to do something that was challenging? I mean, was that a driver? Yeah, yeah. No, it was. Like, we always wanted to create something of value, you know, where our customers would derive utility from what we provided, and that was a real business that, you know, it generated revenue, was profitable, uh, was, was provided a really great utility to businesses that used it, and enabled them to do business better. You know, we talk about the instant economy, where people expect to pay for something instantly, get it delivered instantly, and so on. And the only way to do that is to uh, completely rebuild the underlying payments and banking infrastructure and that's what we're doing um, we did it in telecoms and now we hope to do it in banking and payments okay you kind of make it sound easy so talk to me about the difficult points <laughs> so you know what we, we talk about and that's an area I'm mm. interested in you know mm. the sort of inner resilience and going through those and not just with no friction blue face but over the years so you know that inner resilience that you've sort of managed to build up you know can you talk to us about that. Resilience is, a, is a, a, a great word. So I have to I have to have a little bit of divergence here. So um, my, uh, my 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 new colleague uh, Michael, uh, who joined us uh, recently, is a great cyclist. You see, and I, I like cycling. And he gave me this book uh, called Simply Beryl, and it's about the story of Beryl Burton, uh, who very few people have heard of. Uh, but she lived, uh, she, she died quite young actually, she, I think she was only you know, 58 or something when she died, but she was one of the most famous cyclists in the world, and of course she was a female cyclist, um, but at the time she was regularly beating men, and in fact the, she won the 12-hour uh, trial in the UK and beat the UK men's champion, who had been trying to break the record for many, many years, and he set off, she was the last to go, because of course she was a woman, um, and she set off two minutes behind the budding world champion, who was a man, and he broke the record, and he held it for precisely two minutes until Beryl finished, and she beat him by something like 45 miles, which was colossal. And somebody described it later as saying that, imagine Serena Williams played Roger Federer at Wimbledon, and Serena won. That's how good Beryl was. Um, so she was an extraordinary character, and she had this thing called resilience, and people asked her things like, you know, uh, how do you get out of bed at four o'clock in the morning, you know, when it's cold and wet and windy, and make yourself go? And she responded, well, there's no choice. You don't give yourself a choice. Like, the, 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 the choice of not getting out of bed is not an option. So, and, and that's, I think that speaks to the thing about resilience. You know, resilience is not a single uh, act or a single event. Resilience is a state of mind which actually persists and it just makes you carry on so that you've no choice. Giving up is not an option. Um, so, of course, many times in, in my life I've thought about giving up, etc. But the alternative of, 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 you know, to not going on is to give up. And that almost 
seems more frightening than carrying on. So generally speaking, I just carry on uh, and don't think about the alternative. Um, so give it, giving up is frightening, actually. Okay. I find giving up okay. more frightening than carrying on. So, yeah, um, interesting. And, and tell me, you seem to have so many successes. Have, have you kind of lived through failures and, and have they, you learned from those? Um, well, I, the, the, the failure that I uh, always think about in my life, and uh, not, a lot, not a lot of people know this, <laughs> um, I left school at 18 and I went to study business. And I did a year of business and I absolutely hated it uh, with a passion. And I couldn't understand why I needed it, etc. And I kind of, oh, I want to start my own business, but I haven't a clue how to do it. And so I went to the US and I did the whole J1 visa thing and, um, you know, stayed on maybe a little bit longer. Um, and then I came back and got a job in an insurance company. So I only went back to college when I was 24. And I had to sit the leaving cert again because I, I didn't study higher level maths and physics. So I had to sort of teach myself those sit the leaving cert, pass them, and get into engineering, which is what I wanted to do. And so that first kind of six years of my life, I always feel as an abject failure. And I sometimes take six years off my life uh, to sort of try in a, in a sort of an attempt to forget about it. <laughs> and, that, and, in, and now in fairness, I learned a great deal on that. And of course, it's true failure. In this case, it wasn't necessarily a failure, but it was like a, what I would describe as a waste of resources or, a, you know, a waste of skill. And so I've been given, you know, tremendous opportunities in this life, you know, through the hard work of my parents, mostly. Um, you know, I've got my education and everything else. And so life was almost laid on a plate for me and I decided to not do anything about it. And that, to me, was like a failure. So that kind of motivated me to go back to college and then, you know, go through the, the uh, go through engineering. I Most think it's just a different, it's a different kind of way around it, though, isn't it? I mean, ultimately, yeah. it, you ended up where you were meant to be. Yeah, 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 that's true. And, and you know, I know, maybe you have to go through those sort of cathartic events to understand just exactly what it is that you are supposed to be doing. And that's why, you know, people might ask me every now and again, you know, oh, I'm, I want to do this business, but, uh, you know, I don't know where to start or what, you know, just start it, just go ahead, you know. I think also, though, on your path, sometimes, you know, being an entrepreneur is that road less travelled and maybe the fact that you did things a little differently also you, did, you were a bit non-conformist, which might have helped yeah, you know, yeah, in, in yeah. that way. But I, it's, yeah. it's, it's good to share those things because I think others just see sometimes people's pathways as being so yeah. easy and... Oh, it's, it's just, an, I mean, you know, in, in my you know, business career, it's, it's, you know, affected marriage, like got divorced, you know, affect relationship with children. And, you know, it, it has this massive impact and takes over your life and you have to be, you know, just so focused on um, making it work, you know, and almost fanatical about making it work because the option of it not working is so scary, you know, that you feel that there's actually no choice, you have to carry on. So there's lots and lots of, um, you know, difficult moments, hard moments that everybody has, but yeah, you just got to be resilient and carry on. Yeah. Super. Okay. So I just want to bring us on to, you know, obviously no friction and how it was funded and where you're at now in the journey. And, you know, so can you talk to us about that? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, well, myself and Aaron uh, funded it ourselves to begin with. Um, we were supported by Enterprise Ireland, which was great. Enterprise Ireland were a great backer of Blueface back in the day. Um, and they came in uh, early in the No Friction journey, really, really supportive. Um, I think Ireland is, is one of the best places in the world to start a business. I really believe that the ecosystem here is just fantastic, especially now. 
So yeah, EI helped out, uh, and obviously further we were in touch with, um, which was was great. And, and in fact, I always say it further. The artist formerly known as Debick, uh, back in the day, uh, they were the very first business development call that I made in the Blueface days. So the very very first business development call I made was to Debick now further, um, and they were enormously helpful to me in that journey too. So yeah, so so um, we started that out. We got some of the original uh, Blueface investors. To, very early friends and family people they wanted to get involved and and so we kind of said oh, all right then go on and uh, so they did um so that, so that, that was great and that was great to have them on board and then um uh, we had set a goal of raising a seed round and our goal to raise the seed round was to get uh, a couple of irish um vcs and a sort of an international pure fintech investor and that's what we did so we raised um, three and a half million in um, May, June 2022, so just last year. And um, yeah, so and further obviously came in on that round, which was great. Okay, super. Yeah, so yeah. over to John. So can you talk to us about, you know, what investors are really looking for and how no friction kind of fits in with that and, and you know, what it is companies need to kind of gather um, in terms of making themselves investor ready? Maybe if I'll just, I'll just tie back into the old Blueface story yeah. just for a second, just to give, give Fergal a bit of context here in terms of how that, was, that story has been around for a long time. And I went out for lunch with somebody yesterday who told me that his parents had invested in Blueface originally. <laughs> I'll tell you who it is okay. later. <laughs> but you just, you, you do meet people who have engaged either with Virgil or with Blueface somewhere along the way. So those kind of stories and having successful outcomes helps. Um, I think the Virgil's probably covered it all in terms of this, the team that you're starting with having that technical capability through Aaron and as, as much as, as Fergus trying to put down how much he does, we all know that the sales and marketing and the commercial drive to get things done is hugely important and very complementary. And if you don't have both, you're really going to struggle, right? Um, so I think going back to that piece of the team, but if I look at the, the, the Blueface story that was there before, just going back on that history, I think the willingness and the almost... Uh, the humbleness of being able to acknowledge that I'm burned and I need to bring in a new team because to bring in that team that's got to hurt right or it's got to not that it got to hurt but it's got to you got to have a certain amount of um openness and awareness of your own capabilities and where you're burned and that you need to bring on other people to do things because you're going to give away some of your baby and and that kind of um it's confidence as well because you've got to have the confidence to bring other people in to give them your baby and that's a very difficult thing to do but it's maturity it's um it's integrity it's all those things that you like to hear about a, a, a an entrepreneur and i think fergal and Aaron have displayed that in spades um and when no friction came along and i actually remember we had a chat and you asked for the introduction to to further vc uh to richard and we 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 did those introductions and you didn't want our privates, I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> no, you were very set on, you wanted your institutionals and that, that was perfect and it was a good fit for what they were looking for at the time. 
But I guess that experience of the past helped you with raise for you no know, friction, you know, all of that knowledge and learning. So I mean, yeah, you yeah, knew exactly so what you were going after yeah, and who yeah, you needed. Yeah. But John's right. I mean, it's it's very much around uh, around the team. We've built an absolutely sensational team, and as Michelle, uh, my my. Um, former professor of strategy in ATC would say it's uh, the entrepreneur's job. They call it in France. It's like making the mayonnaise. Obviously, they say it in French, um, but it's about making the mayonnaise. And you know, your job as an entrepreneur is to bring all the ingredients together and mix them in such a way to make the perfect blend. You see, and so I suppose my superpower, if you like, is spotting talent. You know, really, really talented people, and I've always been very, very fortunate that I can do that. Um, so, you know, when, when Aaron went back to Australia, he was completely burned out. You know, you hear these talks about people working 18 hours a day. He was working 18 hours a day for four or five years. It was absolute hell on earth. Um, it was really, really hard. And we were both just burned out. So, you know, 2011 or so, we did that. So Alan uh, Foy came in, my, my, my business partner in Blueface after that. And Alan was just absolutely brilliant and really helped then to, you know, scale the business, etc took it to a whole new level so you know I was lucky to be surrounded by these amazing people uh, and talented people and now in no friction um, we were t I was talking to Aaron last week and he was saying that he's never had such a talented team uh, working for you know with him and for him etc like it's just sensational the people that we have on board now you know from Michael who's recently joined us um, sort of strategic director we've Kate who's on board you know Aoife in compliance we've Rory Andreas the two Pablos you know Axel I can I have to name everybody because these are all you know we've got this sort of product driven company um, and we've got this sort of Uruguayan team as such almost who've come from a background of working with this with a product in a product driven environment which is quite rare in Ireland to have that finding this kind of resources is difficult so they've come in and helped us you know focus on being a product driven company uh, we got Aaron and the team you know uh, with 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 the development team with Donal and Arif and Sarav and they're just fantastic um, and you know all I can do is really sort of you know provide them with the tools they need to do their job really really well and that's what we've been trying to do and hopefully now we can kick on and go on to the next stage so yeah okay well that brings us to my last two questions so what advice would you give others then I mean I know you've, you've kind of had peppered lots of advice through all of this but you know if there was key key lessons that you would pass on to others coming um, along the journey themselves what would you say yeah, well, I think we've probably touched on, on, on a few of them. You know, one is surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you is a great one, which is, um, it's, e it's easy for me as well, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's a random walk down the street will do it. <laughs> um, you know, that, that, uh, that great uh, Clint Eastwood, our Dirty Harry phrase, you know, a, a man's got to know his limitations, uh, you know, and it's, 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 it's so true. Like, you really, really do. You've got to know what you're good at, what you're not good at, uh, and trying to, f trying to hire people who are just want to succeed in the right way, um, doing the right things, uh, but are just super smart, super talented, and just get out of their way and let them do their job. So that's one thing. Um, and actually, I have to say it because, um, you know, obviously the, I watch, I love sport and watching football at the weekend and watching Liverpool and Man United, and I, I couldn't believe uh, a second half, you had these incredibly talented, highly paid individuals playing for Manchester United who almost seem to, like, give up just because they've gone down. And, and the entrepreneurial journey feels like that many times as well. You know, you feel like... I've 
much is the world is just caving in, the sky is going to fall in your head, and you feel like just shrugging your shoulders and kind of walking off moping, but you've got to lift yourself and get up and go about it, you know. Um, and I prefer Liverpool to Manchester United, but I actually felt sorry for Man United fans because, like, geez, like, I'd be going absolutely crazy looking at that. And, of course, watching on was Alex Ferguson, who's arguably one of the best managers of all time, uh, and one of the great, you know, people managers above all things and he'd never have stood for that kind of carry on mm. so you know so finding the people with the right attitude who can actually you know you can pick yourself up but actually you want people who can pick themselves up when things are when, when things are bad is when you really find out people's character yeah, and it's you really need people around you who are ready for the good times but particularly for the bad times and who can just carry on and plow on and have the grit and determination to succeed so it's, it's all about people and finding the right ones. Yeah. Super. Okay, and then what's next for No Friction? So what is the future? So you've just raised exciting times ahead. Exciting times ahead. It's uh, an incredibly exciting time to be involved in the industry. Um, we really feel like we're riding a wave of, of, of change in financial services, in banking and payments. Um, the, the, the emergence of cryptocurrencies, whether or not they emerge as a sort of mainstream payment method or something is almost irrelevant. The fact is the technology which underpins them is, is utterly transforming um, how value transfer is done. And so we just feel we're, we're here at the right time. We're building the platform and we're just going to carry on. And the idea for, for no friction really is to provide the platform that we've built and the regulatory authorization to use it hopefully uh, to other businesses so that they can build on top of it and do some really really cool stuff with what we've built you know and take it, it on to the next level so we can't do everything ourselves so we want to enable other businesses to build great things and that'll be a that'll be a result and that, that's what success looks like if other companies are using our platform to build great things that's our job will be done amazing well thank you so much for coming in Thanks to Fergal, no friction, and thanks, also thanks to John. Thanks, John. Yeah. And thanks for sharing your story. It's been very inspiring. Thanks, everyone. Cheers. You have been listening to the Further with Founders podcast. I am Dr. Rosalind Beer. I'm looking forward to you joining us on our next episode.